Hey, it's Chris Jones, co-host of the Jones Zone podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. When it concludes, do us a favor and leave a review. Leaving a review is the fastest way to grow our audience, and we want to make sure we share this podcast with the most people possible. Also, for anyone that doesn't know, Brian and I own the Jones Zone real estate team. So if you're looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest in residential real estate in the Charlotte, Fort Mill, Rock Hill, York County area, hit us up. Call or text 803-810-2230. Lastly, not only do we use this podcast as a way to help promote local business owners and entrepreneurs, but Brian and I also own Jones Zone Marketing. If you're a small or medium-sized business looking for a way to generate more leads or looking to spruce up your marketing with videos, landing pages, sales funnels, membership sites, or more, hit us up at jonesonemarketing.club, C-L-U-B. All right, enjoy the show. It's Chris and Brian Jones, your real estate advocates, community connectors, talking Charlotte and York County area real estate, and interviewing business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. All right, welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. Brian is not with me today, but I'm going to hold it down. Um, today, we'll get right into it. Um, today, we're here with Patrick Camuso of Camuso CPA uh, right here in Charlotte. Their approach is based on building long-term relationships with clients and having relationships built on trust and value. They do tax prep and planning. They also do uh, financial and business consulting, all things CPA related. We're going to get into cryptocurrencies and all that fun stuff as well. So, Patrick, welcome to the Jones Zone, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, that was a quick, brief introduction, but if you don't mind, um, share a little bit of your personal story, some of your professional background, and then how you got into launching your own CPA firm. Yeah, absolutely. So we were speaking a little bit about this, and I'm happy to give an overview. So I worked about five and a half years in one of the top big four accounting firms specifically in the asset management and real estate space. After that, I went out and I hung my own shingle here in Charlotte, working very heavily with both real estate investors and cryptocurrency investors. Um, In addition to working on the investor side, we do get a lot of small businesses within those two verticals that we assist as well, including real estate agents or businesses that accept cryptocurrency. Cool, man. Where are you from? Um, originally, I'm from the Northeast, so I've been in Charlotte now for, I guess, about three years. What brought you down here? What part of, what part of the Northeast are you from? Um, well, I grew up in the Poconos in Pennsylvania in the country area. Um, spent most of my career in uh, New York City, and what brought me down to Charlotte was I basically needed something in between those two. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And you got a New York City look to Charlotte's a great yeah. city, so. Yeah, it is, man. What brought you to, what made you think of Charlotte? Um, Just the location? I honestly, once I decided, you know, I needed to make a jump from the city, I sort of opened up a map and made a decision and I was looking between a few cities, but um, Charlotte really stole the show for me. I think it's got a great economy here, um, both now and in the future, the prospect of what it can turn into. And um, I also like the Whitewater Kayak, so having, oh, the, White, nice. having the Whitewater Center nearby uh, doesn't hurt either. Is that one of your hobbies? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, how old are you, man? You're a young dude. Yeah, I'm a young guy. Uh, 28 years old. All right, so you went to college. Where'd you go to school? Uh, Montclair State. That's in? Um, that's in New Jersey. Okay. So the Poconos in New York and New Jersey are all sort of, they're all sort of linked up there. All right, and what'd you study there? Um, accounting and finance. Oh, jeez. Yep, all the fun stuff. Dude, that's <laughs> brutal, man. So it's the foundation of, of the business, though. So that's why yeah. I like to say I'm the foundation of your business success because okay. it really is the foundation. And the reason I got into it was to try to learn the fundamentals of the way a business is run from a numbers perspective. 
do you deal primarily with businesses or do you have do you deal with a lot of individual tax prep and stuff um i'd say about 70 percent of our client base are investors again between the real estate and crypto industries and then that other 30 percent are different types of small businesses so um it's a healthy mix but i'd say for all those clients even the business clients we handle their their personal tax returns as well so um you know whether it's a personal tax return an s corporation tax return partnership corporation um we've sort of seen it all from that perspective very cool so you graduated college you went to work for a bigger company what made you want to launch your own thing what made you want to get out on your own and do it well i actually always um once i started going to school for accounting i always wanted to hang my own shingle and start my own firm so um going to the bigger company was really an opportunity for me to one see the quality work product that they're able to deliver to clients and how they do that you know how do they structure their workflows um how do they manage their employees basically just you know learn and start my career and you know there's really no better place to do that in new york in financial services so that was really the first step for me and um you know once i felt like i had enough experience and perspective in network um i i took the next step that's awesome because you're probably what like 24 at the time yeah. <laughs> which is awesome man yeah. so what gave you the confidence i mean like if, like 24 and like you can approach all these business investors and all these people and have the confidence to be well, like dude I, guess, I got this yeah i guess the number one thing is that i know i can deliver value to them and i know i could provide them a quality service so you know if you have that i think pursuing um business owners or whoever you're trying to pursue in the marketplace comes a lot easier because you have that base level confidence so i think that's really where it all stemmed from and then you know just do whatever it takes to sort of put yourself out there and uh get in front of the right people yeah very smart man how what was the first thing you did as as a, as your own business owner i mean how'd you get your name out there how'd you find clients what was some of the things that you did well you know i sort of knew people that were in the real estate industry so i put the word out that way you know there's no better way to sort of grow business relationships especially something like when you're selling a cpa service it's based a lot off of trust and relationship so there's really no better way than through people that know you um through your network so that was number one and then um you know you have to sort of amplify that message if, if you want to start a company so i started to look at different opportunities online to really brand myself and get my message out there and you know that's why we were talking about content a lot that's that's why i write a lot of content and i started putting that out there and um obviously it's a slow process you know not many people are listening at first but um, after a couple months, you just start to have a cumulative process and um, people start to see where your expertise lies and it start has, starts to have a sort of a snowball effect. Yeah. Do you have any influences in terms of like content creation or do you have anybody that kind of you draw inspiration from? Um, yeah, you know, I watch, um, you know, Grant Cardone a lot from the sales perspective. I think that he has a great philosophy and I think from the marketing perspective, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's another, another great source of, um, information to see what's what's the latest developments and what i can be doing differently yeah those guys are intense man. yeah <laughs> i gotta take i was joking we around we got a credit, buddy especially grant especially grant. yeah yeah we have we have a buddy that used to work for uh gary and it was just like dude is he like that all the time like, yeah he's like yeah he's yeah. like that <laughs> it's like how could you be around that all the time i could i couldn't do it like man i just hustle your face off blah 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 but grant i like grant's and uh a lot of his stuff too you know the 10x rule which is really good because 
if you're going for 10x, if you only get 2x, you know, you're still doing all right. So Exactly. So, yeah. um, very cool, man. So you t- and what Grant said to me really struck home about, you know, being close to the sales process and being close to the revenue. And that's another reason why I think it's very important to be a business owner. What do you mean? To elaborate. Because, you know, like when I was in the CPA firm, I was more in a role where, you know, you're overseeing employees and you're preparing taxes. You're not necessarily out selling business every day and bringing money into the company. Um, you know, I could have gotten to that point probably by now, but it was this decision between working through a company just to get to that point to sell or sort of going out in the marketplace and, and proving myself through the sales process. Yeah, interesting because somebody's got to do the work, you exactly. know, and then somebody's got to keep the work coming in. So that, exactly. and that's, that's a tough balance. Real estate agents fall into that trap a lot. Exactly. Yeah. It's you, not, you it's not business. easy um, being on, being on both sides on the sales side and then on, you know, the service delivery. Yeah. Side. You're trying to keep deals alive and, but dude, you still got to get out and prospect and exactly. get new business. Exactly. So that's pretty challenging. It's good that you, that you do that though. So what all does a CPA do, man? What are some, I mean, you touched on it briefly, but what, what are some of the services that you provide in terms of, uh, I guess just what all you guys do here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, number one is tax preparation. You know, whether you're an individual or you're a business owner, you're going to need to to pay your taxes when, when your time comes around. So if you're an S corporation or you're a partnership, you're going to have a tax return due each year around March. Um, and as an individual, your tax return is going to be due around April. Um, if you don't file extensions, obviously. So that's the first service that we provide clients, um, helping them out from a compliance perspective. You know, from there, we're looking at two things. First and foremost is protecting your assets. So making sure that you're categorizing and reporting everything correctly, whether you're a real estate investor, whether you're a cryptocurrency investor or a business owner, you'll be dealing with different specifics um, for your tax return. But, um, you know, that's where our industry perspective comes into play and we make sure that everything gets booked correctly. Um, and that's usually the best way for us to get integrated onto a client as well. Then from there, you know, once we're involved in your financial fact pattern, there may be additional tax planning services that we can offer you. Um, and it's, it's very situational, but you know, once we're looking at your tax return, once we're understanding what's happening in your business, in your investment portfolio or, or in your life for that matter, um, you know, there may be some, some ways for you to minimize your taxes looking forward and taking some proactive action. So we work with um, both investors, businesses, and individuals more on an ongoing basis on, on those matters as well on a, on a consultancy basis. What's the primary difference between a CPA and a financial advisor? Um, well, they're actually providing two completely separate services. And we do work closely um, with a lot of financial advisors. We find ourselves referring clients out to them in, in many different scenarios. So what a CPA is for focused on doing is is mostly taxation, um, taxation and or accounting. So you know they're they can be doing accounting, they could be managing your books, and they can be filing your your taxes with the IRS, and they can also be providing consulting services around tax minimization and around asset protection. Now a financial advisor um comes with different certifications and. Even within the financial advisor realm, there's various types of certifications that all these advisors um, can have. And, you know, I always encourage people to educate themselves on, on these different designations before working with an advisor because they do have some implications. But um, what the advisor is looking to do is help you manage your capital that you can invest. So, you know, it's really completely separate from filing your taxes. What they're looking to do is understand 
you know, what capital do you have that, that can be allocated to an investment portfolio and then work with you based off of your your current needs and future goals on what's the best approach to, to take that into the marketplace. Yeah, excellent, man. Good good, good description there. <laughs> uh, all right, so you mentioned partnership and S-Corp. What are the different mm-hmm. types of um, ways that you can organize yourself as a business? I mean, we got LLC, and mm-hmm. what, what, what else we got? What are Absolutely. the differences? That's a, that's a great question. And, you know, anytime that I'm, I'm sitting down with a client, all these decisions are, are very situational. So I think it's be best to take this scenario just from a simple business owner perspective and try to keep it as general as possible. And, you know, what I tell clients in that regard is to start with an LLC. And the reason that you start with an LLC is, you know, number one, liability protection. You're creating a corporate veil between um, you as a person and this company, this separate entity that you're setting up. So, you know, that protects you from a liability standpoint in the case of any lawsuits and, and audits and things of this nature. Um, also with the LLC, you know, we can start claiming business mile deductions. We can start maximizing the deductions on your tax return through your Schedule C. And the third thing that the LLC does is it gives flexibility for the next level, if this makes sense. So, you know, anytime you're a business owner, you're generating active income. And this income, in addition to income tax, gets exposed to self-employment tax. So self-employment tax as a business owner is about 15%. It's, you know, about 7% each. Um, so what we recommend to business owners after they set up their LLC is usually moving up to an S corporation. Now an S corporation is a much more formal structure and it's gonna come with additional cost. So it's not something that we ever rush people into and we always try to make them you know, understand this point. So you know, the biggest tax savings to moving into an S corporation is the fact that we can shield some of the income that you generate from self-employment tax. And the way that we do this is by setting a wage for yourself as the person working in the S-Corp and then distributing anything above and beyond that as a profit distribution, which is not exposed to self-employment tax. So we do this through what's called a reasonable compensation study. Um, we set your salary based off of that. So you, you meet the IRS's standards. We use their methodology to calculate that. And then anything above that, we're able to realize the tax savings on. So you know, for any business owner that's getting in that 70 to 80K range in revenue or above, it starts to make sense to look at moving into an S corporation because they can realize some tax savings that way. So, you know, generally what I see is new business owners start with an LLC and then most often move into an S corporation. Now, you know, if you're starting a business and um, you have multiple owners, then um, the considerations may be a little different because you, you know, you're not going to be able to file your your business on your personal tax return when you first get started. So your compliance costs are already increased when you're filing a partnership tax return. So it may make sense to move right into the S-Corp structure. Um, you know, it's something that I always encourage each individual to sit down with a CPA with and discuss in detail to make sure that, you know, you're considering all facts and circumstances because, um, you know, if you want to sell your business, if you want to raise capital through your business, you know, these are different considerations that can that can affect what type of entity is going to really suit you best. Interesting. Interesting. One thing I wanted to talk to you about while I had you, um, 
I know you deal a lot with real estate investors, so you're probably someone that, <laughs> dude. Someone please explain capital gains tax to to me. So like, I know the general rules, but I didn't realize that uh, you can get taxed on part of your house if even if you've lived in it for two over, over two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you have like a home office or something like that, you can still get taxed on that, right? What are, what first of all, what is capital gains tax, and then how do people either um, avoid it or not avoid it. Yeah, so, you know, capital gains tax, anytime that you sell property, you're exposed to capital gains tax. So, you know, that can mean a home or it can mean a, a cryptocurrency. So, basically, anytime that you purchase your home... Dang, you, cryptocurrency has capital gains tax? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So, anytime, in the, in the home example, anytime you purchase your home, you know, the cost to purchasing the home, the sales price of the home plus any closing costs are gonna create what's called your initial cost basis in that house. Um, and then basically, you know, when you, when you make that initial purchase, there's no filing requirements, but you wanna, maintain, you wanna keep these records because you're gonna need them in the event of a sale of your home. So fast forward selling the home, you would want to take the sales price of what you sold the home for, the fair market value, and subtract it from that cost basis that you saved. And then whatever you're left over with is actually gonna be what's called your capital gain. That would get reported on your Schedule D, and then that would be exposed to a tax. So the tax that it gets exposed to depends on how long you held the asset for. So if you held the asset for less than 12 months, it would be exposed to short-term capital gains, which is your effective income tax rate. Um, Long-term capital gains is, is a 20% rate. So now there's a lot of, you know, granular details that go into calculating exactly what is someone's capital gain. And, you know, just like with any other part of the IRS tax code, there's all these exceptions and um, de minimis rules. So, you know, one rule is, is if you live in that property and it's your personal residence and you live in it for two years, you can exclude um, $250,000 of any capital gain that you calculate from that residence. But you brought up an interesting point. So now, you know, there may be a lot of people that are taking the home business deduction because they're also business owners. When you're taking the home business deduction, you're really saying that you're using a portion of your personal residence as your office, as your as your business. So they will exclude that portion um from the original exclusion because they're saying that that really isn't functioning as a personal residence anymore so you know that is something that you have to be aware of when you're considering whether or not you want to take the home office deduction and you know net net what that effect's going to have on you yeah interesting yeah i didn't really i didn't consider that until it yeah. came up with one of my clients because uh, uh i i just always remembered the two out of the last five years and then like you know are you gaining I think what is it 250 if you're single and 500 if you're married mm-hmm. like, are you gaining that when you sell your house most people aren't exactly so, yeah um, but yeah so but then you know there is that tax benefit year over year of getting the home office deduction and so then they, yeah. they nail you with they're that, like basically. no I got, home, I got a home office I was like oh yeah oh shoot yeah so you need to change that answer to yes then mm-hmm. so yeah man um, 
Dude, let's get into cryptocurrencies, man. This Absolutely. is I could the tell. last point I'll leave you with is that okay. And this will segue into crypto. Is that you know those those are just small things that it really pays to have a relationship with a CPA. And before you make any decisions, if you check with them, they can help you avoid some of these things. And yeah. you know that's that's where it really comes into a CPA helping you to protect your assets. Because, you know, if the IRS is letting you know something, it, it's usually too late. And, <laughs> right. you know, we did see that. It usually has a bill attached yeah. to it. And going into cryptocurrency, we did see that a lot um, last year and even even some into this year with, you know, the tax implications to, to people trading crypto. Yeah, man. All right. So what is cryptocurrency? Most people have at least heard of Bitcoin, but there's hundreds and thousands of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's there's cryptocurrencies and there's blockchains. Um Cryptocurrencies are built on top of blockchain. So, you know, Bitcoin is a is a cryptocurrency. It's an application. It's a, it's a currency replacement. It's a store of value. That's what it's functioning as. But that's built on the Bitcoin blockchain. And that was the, the first cryptocurrency. Um, it came out in about 2008 during the financial collapse. And it's just been gaining more and more steam ever since. You know, it was first adopted by more fringe groups and tech nerds and it's just starting to bleed its way into the into the financial infrastructure here over these past couple years um the next biggest cryptocurrency is called ethereum so that's a platform that people can build applications on and ethereum is the platform that you've seen most of these new cryptocurrencies also getting built on so you know blockchain serves a function in the overall business landscape it can disintermediate a lot of third parties it can add a layer of trust and verification to databases and um those those are those are two of the two of the biggest things because it's an immutable ledger that can reach a consensus without without any third parties having to verify it and that's you know it's done through a few different mechanisms and that's what all the mining's used for in, in um when you hear about people mining bitcoin so you know once ethereum came out and people started building all these new cryptocurrencies they're building them to disrupt as startup companies to disrupt different industries so you know there's cryptocurrencies that have been developed um for the real estate industry for the energy industry etc etc and that's why you're seeing these all start to proliferate. Now, the reason why people say most of them, you know, will will most likely not be here is because when people are, are investing in cryptocurrencies, especially ICOs, new coins that are coming out, you're there really should be looking at things from the perspective of a VC investor that's investing in an early stage startup with not much revenue or no revenue at all. Um, you know, what's interesting is is that these assets have obviously been significantly appreciating um you know most notably during 2017 and each time someone takes a bitcoin or ethereum and trades it for one of these other smaller coins um that's a taxable event that unfortunately most people were unaware of during um 2017 so you know there was a lot of people that were able to realize huge 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 gains um during 2017 and there was also a lot of early adopters from the 2014 years that you know saw this appreciation started picking up new coins and now they had all these tax issues that they were unaware of um so you know that's where where our firm started to come in and and really help work with these investors one in educating them on exactly what what they have to do to become compliant with the irs and protect their assets and then actually helping them 
calculate where where their live what their actual tax liability is, taking into account all these trades that they've done, and helping them report that. So, like, how is Bitcoin usable and applicable in the real world? Like, I mean, it sounds like uh, I, I like I don't know. Like, I I just like I can't go into Walmart and say I'm gonna pay with this in Bitcoin. Like, how do you? Well, there's a lot of stores that do actually. It's okay. Like cryptocurrency and Camusa CPA is one of them actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it is. And like, what do you do with it? Like, so if someone pays you in Bitcoin, what do you? Cryptocurrency can be used as a medium of exchange. Um, right now the transaction fees, especially with Bitcoin, are, are very high. So right now that isn't a viable use case for it. Also, the transaction speeds are preventing it from that. What, you know, the the biggest thing that people will point to right now as a use case for Bitcoin is a store of value. Um, so. You know, obviously it's appreciating now and they compare it to gold because, you know, gold is something that you can store wealth in, but you have to physically store it and you either have to hold it yourself or somebody else has to hold it. Bitcoin is something that um, you can store your wealth in. And if you had to go to another country, you can walk into that country with it. So where you start to see use cases develop where people want to use cryptocurrencies but it's and it's all cyber, right? It's, it's all, all it's it's all it's all cyber. But it's um there's only twenty one million coins that have ever been developed for Bitcoin, and that's all that'll ever be in existence. And the way that these coins are produced is is through is through people mining. So you have to use a certain amount certain amount of CPU processing power to calculate these to do these very hard calculations with your computer to create one of these bitcoins. So it takes a certain amount of CPU processing power. So to mine a Bitcoin, it takes anywhere from say $5,000 to $9,000 to mine one Bitcoin. So that's generally like where the bottom is on the price is the cost to mine because then miners have an incentive to keep the network up and not allow the price to go beyond that. But you know, back to use cases, if you start to look somewhere like Venezuela or places where um, their financial infrastructure is starting to collapse, they have no way to, to store their value and they have no way to even transact with each other in these areas anymore. And those are like the number one places where you start to see Bitcoin get it adopted hand over fist because it's a way for people to actually store value, trade back and forth and also not have their wealth get confiscated. So that's that's the number that's the number one thing um, for a store of value. Now, as a as a medium of exchange, there's no easier way to transact than with cryptocurrencies. You know, like when I have to accept a payment from someone in crypto versus taking it through the bank, it is way easier to send them my crypto address and have them send me the money back. And it's in my wallet and there's and it can be done between me and you. There has to be no bank involved. No, nobody. You can We can send money back and forth between each other. So that level of adoption with people using it as a medium of exchange in our general society isn't here yet. But you do see more and more businesses starting to accept Bitcoin, starting to accept Bitcoin Cash, starting to accept um, Dash and some of these other coins that are being used as um, mediums of exchange. And so these transactions, though, they're like a minimum of $5,000, though? Like, oh, like, no. Like... So how much is one Bitcoin worth? Like Oh, so that's the thing is that one Bitcoin right now is worth, I mean, I'd have to check the price, but it's probably worth around like 7K right now. But you can you can send me point oh 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 one okay. of a Bitcoin. And that's why, you know, Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin can go up to 100K. And you can just transact in smaller and smaller increments of the, of the Bitcoin. 
and then it can hold the true value versus you know if you look at say the dollar right now what is that what is that backed by and how many of them can they print where in bitcoin there's there's a fixed amount and the value of it's being decided in a marketplace so if people continue to use it more and more you know there can be the argument that it can be a, a sounder form of a of a currency and sort of a, a hybrid between like a fiat currency and something that that isn't that is backed by more than just you know the faith of the government not to print too much of it basically yeah have you ever seen the, the wolf of wall street where he's like it's like a fugazi a fugazi yeah. whatever that's yeah. that's like like and it's funny that you use the expression tech nerds because like dude this is so foreign to me like i would yeah. never not that i'm not a nerd not that i'm very cool but like i'm the least tech person there is so it's like Dude, this is all. This is all. Yeah, so I heard I about I Bitcoin like way, way back when, and I was like, "That's interesting." You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how many people. I mean, 2008, you were probably, you know, still in high school. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't buy it back then, but I, I was hearing about it, and I was like, "That's interesting," but I don't think I knew enough to know how how big it was gonna be all the way back then. But um, it's you know, it's definitely, it's definitely to a point now where it's not going anywhere. Um, there's been too much infrastructure built up in this in the cryptocurrency world. And now it's getting to a point to where, um, you know, the last run up, you know, there may be some people that listen to this that bought Bitcoin at 20K and are, you know, sitting here with a, with a red face right now because uh, <laughs> because they feel like they got burned. And, you know, that's unfortunate. But, you know, most people got in way before that last run up. So it's it's this crash everybody's talking about didn't really even happen for those people that were, say, bought Bitcoin when it was less than a thousand dollars. You know, is there a crash when it's at seven thousand? No. Yeah, you know how volatile is it day to day or week to week or um I mean like right now it's sort of been you know treading between fifty five hundred and like seventy five hundred um but I mean you know last year it was at twenty k or so so you, we saw twenty k we saw a big drop down and it's sort of been treading um and it's all about timing that next big run up to where you know it hits that all time high or, or breaks through it. So the last run up was really driven through retail investors, you know, um, just general people that heard about crypto and started to basically see the big gains that people within their network were getting. And they kept getting in basically often an emotional bias, fear of missing out. They didn't really know about the technology. They didn't really believe in it, um, but they just saw an easy way to get some gains. And then, you know, obviously some people start to take profit and all these weak hands helped help, you know, bring the price back down to where it is. What's really interesting now is that um, you start to see big institutional money getting ready to move into the market as infrastructure is getting built for them. So Coinbase just opened up custody to allow institutional investors to trade money on behalf of their clients and have a viable way for them to actually store these funds where they know it's not going to get stolen. State Street is also coming out with a with a custody agreement, with a custody service and um you know State Street provides custody to money managers like BlackRock. So there's very large players that are moving into the game <coughs> including Goldman Sachs who, you know, just set up a trading desk for cryptos um just a couple months ago you got companies like blackrock looking into it um and even thompson reuter just did a, a study this past week that says 20 percent of financial advisors within the next three to six months plan to start offering their client services around crypto so you know it's gotten to a point to where 
it got the fringe traction. It got it got sort of the early adopter mainstream attack attraction and now where the next level where people are looking is the financial world and the institutions to really move into this space and uh have they been reluctant you think like um well the infrastructure hasn't been there you know without without custody like you know what i was saying about coinbase custody and state street custody that may just sound like nothing really but what that means is you know, if you're if you want to start a hedge fund and you want to raise twenty million dollars to invest in cryptocurrency, you're gonna to have to you know be audited by a by a CPA firm to make sure that you're protecting investors' funds and it's part of the SEC regulations. So you know, anytime a firm wants to audit you, one of the first questions they're gonna ask is how are you handling custody? Who's handling your custody? And when when they say that, what they're trying to figure out is where are you keeping this $20 million in cryptocurrency. And, you know... <laughs> no, decent. On and, the internet? I don't know. No, and yeah, so basically before before Coinbase opened up custody and before other companies like State Street are looking at doing this, there was no solution for this. So, we, you know, it, it's a huge bottleneck to allowing institutional investors in the space. Now that that problem's getting solved, um, it, it, opens up, it opens up the door for them. So, you know, that's that's one huge step that's just starting to just starting to develop and um you know there's a regulatory gray area around it as well um around cryptocurrencies in general especially around ICOs so that's another area that now is that initial crypto offering or what's ICO initial coin offering initial coin offering offering. and you know that's something else that that makes the that makes institutions hesitant but that is also something where you know this is peaked regulators interest sometime last year they've been looking at it um very more closely whether it's from the irs perspective from the sec perspective from the cftc perspective and um you know there should be some clarity coming very soon in that regard as well and there's already steps getting taken towards that so all things are moving towards more clarity more infrastructure getting built up and sort of a next a next wave of of adoption coming hope hopefully um but they are always very volatile i assume it was very natural for you but what what how are you tackling becoming the go-to crypto cpa here in yeah. charlotte Market? so that actually worked out beautifully just sort of given given my background and what was needed to actually you know deliver a service on crypto because i'm sure you go to most cpas and they're like dude i don't, I don't yeah, yeah I don't they know. don't want it well well i guess the first step was is that i was investing in it myself yeah so you know like i'm fo- i'm following the market i know all the coins i'm holding it myself i know the exchanges so, you know, I can speak that language and when I'm analyzing a portfolio, I sort of know what I'm looking at when I'm looking at all these coins. They're not just letters to me. I guess that was that was the first step. And then, you know, it just so happened that cryptocurrencies taxes property and we already work heavily with real estate investors. So, you know, I understand that taxation structure. And then, I you know, I guess the, the hat trick was really the fact that, you know, my background working before I before I started my own firm working with a lot of different investment management companies within the big four, you know, gave me that ability to provide a high level analysis of a portfolio and deal with very large data sets and be able to accurately analyze that. And that's what it really takes for crypto. So I just sort of had the, the perfect background for it and um, you know, with had had the right the right interest for it and sort of put the business 
business out in front of it. That's awesome, man. And you expect a huge tax season. I'm Absolutely. Sure. Last last one last one was pretty big, and this one doesn't show any any signs of slowing down. So, um, yeah, we're 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 expecting a big one here. Yeah, especially if 2017 was the the year of crypto, I guess. Yeah. You call exactly. It. Exactly. Um. So real estate wise, what are some things that people need to know in terms of linking up with a CPA? We touched briefly on capital gains tax, but what else do people, if they're looking to get into real estate investments, what are some things they should be aware of? Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking to get into real estate, you need a good CPA on your team. And for that matter, you probably need a good lawyer on your team as well. And, you know, it depends on what stage you're at in your portfolio or what size portfolio you want to build with what value that we can add to you from that regard. But where it really starts with any client is sitting down with them, trying to understand what you're looking to invest in, what type of portfolio you're looking to build. Are you raising money or not from, from outside sources? Are you syndicating and then developing the right entity structure for you? Because, you know, before we start to consider any tax liabilities, you know, maximizing any tax deductions, we need to make sure that you're in the right tax vehicle. So, you know, that may be a partnership, it may be an S-Corp, it may be an LLC. Um, that's really the first step. Then from there, you know, we want to make sure that you're just doing all the basic things correctly to keep that entity in compliance with the IRS. Those those are really the first two steps. And what this really, you know, what the entity structure does is it sets you up to minimize your taxes. And what the compliance does is it protects your assets. You know, from there, we start to take a deeper look at what are the basic opportunities to make sure that you're taking the right steps throughout each year to pick up all your tax deductions to minimize your taxes. And then, um, Outside of that, you know, that's when the more fun can begin and we can really start to take a look at your overall financial picture, take more of a forward look and see if there's any further opportunities to minimize your taxes. So, you know, one big thing that I, I see with real estate investors that are buying holders is cost segregations. Um, they're a fantastic way to accelerate the depreciation that you take on your property and, um, you know, put money in your hand faster through that accelerated depreciation for you to put put into more properties yeah um so you know it gets it gets specific what we can do from a tax planning perspective is there kind of a threshold for how many properties you should have before you get into all that or for for a cost seg i wouldn't say there's a threshold on how many properties it's more the size of the property um i'd say like 500k and above it starts it starts to become feasible um just because you know they're they're bigger studies that are going to be costly so we have to make sure that there's enough um enough enough of a deduction to make it worth it for you to go through that process so you know when you're starting out you want to make sure that your entity structure is in the, in the right place and then after that you can really focus on maximizing your deductions um you know one other big thing that i do find is working with a lot with new clients after we get the entity structure set up is um you know just making sure that you're you're keeping all your records so when you purchase the new home immediately you know if you're one of our clients we always have a folder set up for you already in share file so anytime you purchase a new home or there's any new transaction that takes place that you need to store records for you can just drag and drop those right into our file so so we have those immediately um because you know that's that's one area that i see a lot of people get hurt on as well is tax time comes quickly and um you usually have more going on than just taxes at that at that time so you don't really want to uh 
be be yeah. scrunching around for for a ton of records yeah yeah it's it's always <laughs> january right after christmas and the holidays and all that and that's like oh, all right i gotta get your stuff ready for taxes and and you know to that point as well um you're maintaining proper accounting records is another big one so you know that can definitely be a source of a headache if you maintain if you didn't maintain your books or if you just didn't maintain them properly throughout the year you know you're definitely going to be um on rushing a little bit during tax season to to get those correctly to your cpa yeah you're making up stuff yeah yeah uh let's see yeah i think the tenant paid on uh, november 5th blah 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 <laughs> Um, awesome, dude. Well, tons of good information, man. Why don't you take the last 30 seconds to kind of take us home here and remind everybody who you are, what you do, and and most importantly, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, my name is Patrick Camuso, and I'm with Camuso CPA. Just as a reminder, we work very, very heavily with both real estate investors and cryptocurrency investors, as well as small businesses. If you'd like to reach me, um, you could find my website at camusocpa.com. That's C-A-M as in Michael, U-S-O, C-P-A. And my phone number is 704-249-3179. Thanks right, again for man. having me on. I appreciate Dude, it. Dude, yeah. Thanks for coming on the Jones Zone, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Jones Zone Podcast with Chris and Brian Jones. We'll catch you on the next episode.